Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. So what I'd like to do this morning, as we're going to continue in the book of Romans, we are in chapter 3, so if you'd like, you can turn there now, Romans chapter 3, but I want to help you remember um, that Romans begins uh, like a closing argument in a trial where all mankind is found guilty before God. Now the trial began in chapter 1, where Paul made uh, God's case against the ungodly Gentile people of the world. And there, Paul went into great detail about the foolishness and the wickedness that comes from rejecting the true God. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, and you don't need to turn there, but Paul says this, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And then later on, in the same chapter, Paul also said that these ungodly people were being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. They were backbiters. They were haters of God, violent, proud, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And that was kind of the gist of chapter 1 which I preached, what, two years ago. So, like I said, we needed a little refresher here. But next in chapter 2, Paul turned his attention from ungodly Gentiles to religious people, and he firstly addressed the Jews. Paul opened with the stern warning in verses 1 through 3. Again, you don't need to turn there. It says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge... For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? You see, we must understand here that this warning wasn't just for the Jews who were, were trying to keep God's law. It was for anyone and everyone who tries to live a moral life. Now, in these three chapters, Paul has been steadily walking us through the truth that everyone is guilty of disobeying the perfectly holy God. Everyone has fallen under the condemnation of God. Everyone deserves the wrath of God. And the only hope 
for escaping God's wrath is by salvation through Jesus Christ. Amen? Everybody desperately needs to believe in Jesus Christ. So please think about this truth as we read Romans 3, 19 through 30. And we're going to go through that. But I want to start the message this morning by giving you a little story here. People can't make it without hope. An Air Force survivor instructor explained this truth with the rule of threes. Some of you are familiar. He said, you can survive three weeks without food, three days without water, three hours without shelter, and three minutes without air. But you cannot survive three seconds without hope. People cannot make it without hope. But Christians, we have hope. We have the only real hope in this world. The only hope. Because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Everybody desperately needs to believe in Jesus Christ. And this morning's scripture helps us see why. First of all, Jesus is the only hope for justification. Without God's justification, all of us are guilty before God. That is why in verse 19, the Holy Spirit led Paul to say, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. All the world is guilty before God. Because all of us were born with a sinful nature. Nobody has ever had to teach their children how to lie. Or be selfish. Or be mean to their brothers and sisters. That just comes naturally. But that's why in verses 9 and 10, Paul began with this question. He says, what then? What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And as a result, verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. No one can be justified by keeping the law because no one has ever, ever been able to keep the law. No one that is except Jesus Christ. As for the rest of us, verse 23 goes and says this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we memorized this back in Sunday school when we were young, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We are all guilty with no hope of ever measuring up. Disney World has minimum height requirements for some of the rides. We know this. And you can look at them on the internet, right? At the Magic Kingdom, you are not getting on the Barnstormer 
unless you are 35 inches tall. You are not getting on Splash Mountain unless you are 40 inches tall. And you're definitely not getting on Space Mountain, my favorite, unless you are 44 inches tall. Folks, what if there were a minimum height requirement for getting into heaven? If it was six feet, there was nothing I could ever do to get there. But you see, if there was a minimum height requirement for getting into heaven, it wouldn't be six feet tall. It would be more like six miles or 60 million miles because there is nothing any of us could do to ever measure up to that standard. All of us desperately need God's justification because without it, we are all guilty. But the great news is that we can have his justification. And it comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Please listen for both grace and faith in verses 21 through 24. Here Paul says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified. Justified. It's the original word which is found 40 times in the New Testament. And it means to make or regard as and declare someone to be just or righteous or innocent. Wayne Grudem defined justification as an instantaneous legal act of God in which he considers our sins to be forgiven and Christ's righteousness to belong to us. See, justification then is God's legal declaration that believers are free from blame and guilt. Is that a positive for us? Absolutely. It is a pardon for all of our crimes against God. Justification is like a clean slate, basically, for anyone who will place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. A.T. Robertson tells us that the original tense indicates a repeated action in each case, each being set right. That is why when I am justified and you are justified by God, it really is just as if we never sinned. That's good news too. Everybody desperately needs to believe in Jesus because he is the only hope for our justification. That's it. Doesn't seem like much, does it? Oh, but it is. But we also know that we desperately need Jesus Christ is because he is the only hope for redemption. Again, verse 24 tells Christians that we are justified freely by his grace, by God's grace. Through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 speaks of believers being in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul also uses the same word in Colossians 1. And there he wrote about the blood of Jesus Christ and said that God the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. The original word for redemption is talking about buying a slave out of slavery in order to set him free. It's the idea of buying someone's freedom by the payment for a ransom. Now, Dennis Davidson pointed out that the redemption had special meaning for the 45 million people in the Roman Empire at this time. And that's because as many as 10 million of those people were slaves. And many of those slaves became Christians. A Roman slave could buy his own freedom if he could raise the money somehow. But a Roman slave didn't always have that opportunity. But he could also be freed if someone was willing to pay that price for him. But you see, redemption was a rare and precious thing for those individuals. Because we know human slavery is a terrible thing. One of the greatest sins in our nation's history. Just think how horrible it would have been to live during that time. You would have been under total control of your master, no matter how cruel he might have been. You had to get up when he said. You had to go to bed when he said. You had to go to work when he told you. You had to eat what he gave you, even if it wasn't fit for the dogs. He could beat you for any reason or no reason at all. And he could sell off the rest of your family with no warning at all. It's a terrible thing, and it still goes on in parts of the world today. In 2002, the CIA reported that over 700,000 women and children are sold into slavery each year. And Wikipedia estimates that there are as many as 46 million actual slaves in the world today. And there are over 3 billion more people who live under brutal dictators around the world. But Jesus Christ paid the highest price to set us free. 1 Peter chapter 1, the Bible tells Christians, You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. When he died on the cross for us, And he took our sin with him. Jesus paid the ransom to redeem everyone who would receive him as Lord and Savior. That's why in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Everybody needs to believe in Jesus Christ because he is the only hope for redemption. And also, because he is the only hope 
for propitiation. Now, propitiation, that's a word that pastor had many years ago had taught in great detail about. And it's a word you'll probably never hear outside of the church. But propitiation is a most important word because Paul used it here in verses 24 through 26. And there the apostles said that believers are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Christians, in verse 26, God is our justifier. That means he declares us to be righteous. And through his grace and glory, we become righteous. But the only way God could do that was for Jesus to be our propitiation. Here God points us back to the Old Testament in the days of the tabernacle and the temple. And there the Ark of the Covenant sat in the Holy of Holies. And the mercy seat was the two foot by four foot solid gold cover of that box. Now it was a very special box because it held what? The Ten Commandments, right? A pot of the miraculous food called manna and Aaron's rod that miraculously budded. But mostly, the mercy seat was special because that's where the glory of God came down. And the one time a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and that's where he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat. Now there, the people's sins were symbolically covered by the blood. But now we don't need the mercy seat because Jesus Christ is our place of mercy. We don't need a solid gold block in front of us to enjoy fellowship with Jesus Christ. We only need ask. We only need believe. I praise God for that. So we don't need the mercy seat. Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. He is the true Lamb of God who gave his blood on the cross to pay for our sins. We all deserved eternal death because of those sins. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ took those with him and paid for them all. Everybody desperately needs to believe in Jesus because he is the only hope for propitiation. And finally this morning, we need to desperately believe in Jesus Christ because he is the only hope for righteousness. God's word mentions righteousness four different times in this morning's scripture. Please listen for this word as I again read 20 through 26. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. 
For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed the law of the prophets. I think I said that twice. Apologize. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. The first thing to notice is that the only reason we can be righteous is because God is righteous. Because of his righteousness, God is willing to make us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. That is why all of the glory for our salvation belongs to God. And in verse 27, Paul could write, Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. The only person we will be boasting about in heaven is God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. All of the glory for our salvation will go to God. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells Christians that God has put us in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, as it is written, he who glorifies, let him glorify the Christians. We are righteous in God's sight because God has put us in Christ Jesus. But remember that by his Holy Spirit, Christ is also in us and we are born again with a new nature, his nature. In this way, God has planted his righteousness in us and he transforms us the way he wants us to live. We see this truth in verses 28 through 31. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now the Lord gave his Old Testament law to Moses on Mount Sinai, but God's law flows out in his infinite uh, perfection. So in one sense, it has always been established. But where does God's law need to be established today? The answer is this, in the hearts of all the people. In the hearts of all the people. True faith in Jesus will have a positive 
powerful impact on every area of our life. Our hearts, our hands, and our tongues. And through His salvation, God calls us up to a life of goodness and purity. He wants all of His goodness and love to flow through us. This covers not just the bad things we shouldn't do, but all of the good things that we should be doing, especially helping other people put their trust in Jesus. What a Savior. What a salvation. Paul summed up our salvation with these words from 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus never sinned. But he took all of our sins upon himself when he died on the cross. The risen Christ did that so that we could have his righteousness when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Speaking of this, and we, we can kind of sum it up into like a trade almost. We traded our sin for righteousness. Right? Speaking of this amazing trade, Bill Bowknight said this My sister Martha is three years older than I am and have always been considerably smarter. This put me at a disadvantage. Teachers in school would compare my work to Martha's and wonder if I came from the same litter. When I was four or five and Martha was seven or eight, she sometimes took advantage of my financial ignorance. I would have a dime and she would have a nickel. Showing me that the nickel was clearly larger than the dime, she would suggest a trade. I would gladly do so, wondering how my sister could be so dumb as to make such an offer. I have such a story as that. When I was younger and I would visit my grandparents, they always gave us a bill, you know, a, a dollar or whatever. Well, I was very into George Washington. My other cousins were smarter and they liked Abraham Lincoln. So I got cheated out of $4 every time. At the heart of the gospel is a terrific trade like that. A sinless Christ took upon himself the sins of all people, bore it to Calvary, he suffered, and then he died for it. And in exchange, covered all believers with his perfect righteousness. Bill continues on, he says, Let's suppose that I'm wearing a coat that reveals the state of my soul. Every commandment I ever broke, every needy person I ever ignored, every lustful thought I ever had, every profanity I ever uttered, all have left dirty marks on my coat. What a filthy garment it is. 
I must wear the coat, and no cleaner on earth can remove its stains and smudges. So let's suppose that Jesus approaches me. I try to hide because I don't want him to see my filthy coat. It reveals everything bad that is who I am. But Jesus finds me and says, Bill, I know all about your coat. I love you anyway. Give me the coat. Miserable with shame, he turns the coat over to him. Then he watches as he marches off to Calvary. He wears it on the cross, bearing the penalty for every smudge and for every stain. And at that very moment when he cries out from the cross, it is finished, and breathes his last. Suddenly I become aware that I'm wearing a new coat. Instantly I recognize it. It is Jesus' coat. And there's not a smudge or a stain on it. It's a coat of perfect righteousness. Now I can walk into the very presence of God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a trade. What a trade. Only it's more than a new coat. It's a whole new life. Jesus took our sin and death so that we could have both his righteousness and his eternal life. The question this morning is, have you made that trade? It is the most important thing you will ever do in your life. And God wants you to do it today. So we know we need to call upon the Lord Jesus to save you. Then you will have God's hope. That real hope. That hope that lasts forever. And this morning, we're going to give you that opportunity. We need to have hope in Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. And he gives it freely to those who want it. So how badly do you want to make that trade? How badly do you want to make that trade? David's going to come and lead us in a song. But I want you to think about that. Have you made that trade? Have you given yourself the opportunity to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And if you have, do you still have some stains you need to take care of? Go to Him. We have people here who want to talk with you about that. Who want to share the gospel with you. Who want to make sure before you leave these doors today... You know the living, breathing God that we know. Dave. Russell, would you put, Tim, would you put up Jesus Messiah, please, as we stand together? That's an invitation call, isn't it? Absolutely. We're going to sing through a verse and a chorus of this song. Doug, would you come and stand here? And Chris, should you have a decision to make this morning? Don't leave without knowing for certain you have eternal life in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We sang about Calvary, grace and mercy, we're free. We sang about how God is for us. We sang about how I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How great thou art, Lord. 
and how great is our God. And now let's sing why with the plan that he had as we sing together, Jesus Messiah. He became sin. If you didn't make that decision today, you still have opportunity. We have a loving church here who wants to speak about the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We look forward to that. Remember, next week, next Sunday after church, we'll be honoring Pastor Gary and Nancy for their years of service here. So we look forward to having that and to uh, celebrating their time in ministry with us. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here this morning. We thank you that you love us, you care for us, and you sent your son to die for us so that we could have that hope in you. Thank you for our opportunities here today. Lord, I pray as we go out these buildings that more opportunities will arise for us to tell others about you. I pray all these things and all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord today.
The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.